This is Politics Part 7, Holy Wars. So when we talk about holy wars in the Middle East, we're always talking about people motivated by either religion, power, greed, or all of the above, going into the Middle East trying to take resources and land away from the people who already live there. And for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to refer to the area of modern-day Israel as Israel. I'm just going to do it for simplicity because it's the same ground even though the official boundaries might not have actually been established that far back. Now the tribes of Israel in antiquity, after they were released from slavery in Egypt. They were led by Moses around 1300 BC. They raided and conquered with mixed success across much of modern day Israel because they believed that God had promised it to them. In that time at 1300 BC, Israel was populated by the Canaanites. Canaan fell apart in the 12th century BC and fractured into three societies, the Philistines, the Phoenicians, and the Israelites. And the modern day Jews were comprised of the southern tribes of the Israelites that settled kind of in the middle of Israel and they were considered the the kingdom of Judah. In around 900 BC, the caliphate of supremacy reigned, and Judah, the kingdom of our modern-day Jews, prospered as a vassal servant state of the Assyrians. At this time, the kingdom of Judah was being ruled by the line of kings of Saul, David, and Solomon. In the 800s BC, the Jews prospered as vassal kingdoms underneath Assyrian protectorate within the caliphate. But when the Assyrian civilization collapsed, Egypt came in from the south, and Babylon came down from the north, and they fought for control the Assyrians' territory, and it destroyed Judah, the kingdom of the Jews, in the process. And it was then, in 596 BC, that the great Jewish temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. But the Babylonians pretty much conquered everybody by about 600 BC. And then Judah kind of just started to pick up the pieces. But the Babylonians realized that they couldn't control that much territory if they were intolerant of other religions and other cultures. So under the Babylonians, and because the Babylonians Babylonians had to be generally tolerant of religious diversity to maintain control, the Jews started to make a comeback. Sixty years later, Cyrus the Great and the Persians, which is Iran, conquered all of the Middle East in 540 BC, which was pretty much the best thing that ever happened to the Jews because when Iran took over, King Xerxes, and he was the king who killed Leonidas and the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae in 480 BC, which was shown in the movie The 300. Fifteen years after King Xerxes killed Leonidas and the 300 Spartans, King Xerxes told Nehemiah, a Jew from what was the kingdom of Judah, to go home and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And there's a book in the Bible called Nehemiah that tells the story, and it's documented in other historical sources, so it's known that that is a fact. And Xerxes sent Nehemiah, for no reason other than the grace of God, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city with all of the resources that the Persian Empire and Nehemiah could transport or acquire. And that, too, is a fact. And then Xerxes died in 465 BC, and Artaxerxes, his son, made Nehemiah the Persian, which is Iranian, governor of Judea. So, in the span of one year, Nehemiah went from slave, and with Jerusalem's walls reduced to rubble, to a Persian governor of Judea, with an imperial commission to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So that was pretty nice to the Iranians. And Xerxes and Artaxerxes made sure that Nehemiah had all the resources he needed, and he rebuilt the walls of the city 
city of Jerusalem in 52 days. 25 years later, in 536 BC, Emperor Cyrus of the Persian Empire released every Jew and sent them to Jerusalem and gave the new Jewish governor of Judah, named Zerubbabel, a commission to rebuild Solomon's temple, and the temple was completed in 516 BC, 20 years later. So the Jews can't ever say that the Iranians never did anything nice for them. They rebuilt their city and rebuilt their temple and gave them a home. Modern day Israelis wouldn't have shit today if it wasn't for the generosity of the Iranians, and that is a fact. And I keep trying to find historical evidence of the Jews or Israelis ever showing any grace to Muslims or any other Middle Easterners, and I just can't seem to find any. Because when it comes to conquered people, the way the Americans treated enslaved Africans and the way Americans treated indigenous Native Americans that they also tore from their ancestral lands and the way the Israelis are treating the Palestinians today, Americans and Israelis are pretty shitty to other people that they take over and that is a fact. The Persians gave the Jews Jerusalem and gave them everything they needed to build backups. And then 200 years after that, in 333 BC, Alexander the Great and the Macedonians, which was the Greeks, took everything over, even Egypt. But just like the Babylonians, the Greeks found out it wasn't easy to maintain control in Israel, so there was a lot of infighting and power struggle drama, but in 64 BC, the great Roman general Pompey conquered Israel. So in 64 BC, Pompey takes over Israel, and at this time, Rome is a republic. And in 60 BC, Pompey, Crassius, and Julius Caesar, who kind of, in my opinion, actually looks a lot like Putin, are a military trio that rule the vast conquered Roman lands. But 12 years later, Crassus dies, and Pompey challenges Caesar for supremacy, loses, flees, and then is assassinated by the Egyptians because Caesar was coming to get Pompey, and that was in 48 BC. So by 48 BC, Julius Caesar was pretty much now the Emperor Palpatine of the world. So he dissolves the Republic and becomes the Emperor of the new Roman Empire. Julius Caesar was on the way to kill Pompey and crush the rebellion with one swift stroke. So Caesar landed in Egypt, but the Egyptians had already assassinated Cassius for him so Caesar wouldn't tear up the neighborhood. Cleopatra was the Queen of Egypt back from when the Greeks took over. So at the age of 21, Cleopatra let the 50-year-old Julius Caesar hit that, and then Caesar washed off and went back to Rome, and Cleopatra even went back to Rome and visited him for a time. Now, almost everybody's heard of the assassination of Julius Caesar, which happened on March 15th, the Ides of March, on the floor of the Roman Senate in 44 BC. So pretty soon after Julius Caesar gets home from his Queen Cleopatra booty call, Julius gets bum-rushed and murdered by every Roman senator, including a guy named Cassius. So after Emperor Julius Caesar is murdered, three military generals team up to rule Rome, the second triumvirate. It was Caesar's great nephew, Augustus Caesar, whose name at the time was Gaius Octavius. He teamed up with General Mark Antony and Cassius, another military general and senator, and their three-way relationship ruled Rome. But I guess they didn't learn from the first time how hard it was to make a three-way relationship work. But Cleopatra, who was still there hanging out for about a month, hooked up with Mark Antony before she left. She was kind of a freak. But it was still kind of tough for the Romans to maintain control over Israel from so far away, just as it was for the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Greeks who came before them. So in 40 BC, the Roman Senate declared a guy named Herod the Great the king of the Jews. It was a perfect political move because King Herod was ethnically Arab, whose ancestors had converted to Judaism, and King Herod the Great was raised and lived as a practicing Jew. So Herod checked all the right political boxes to maintain control of Israel, but at the end of 
the day, Herod was still Rome's bitch. And just like in Terminator, where Skynet sent the Terminator back in time to kill the mother of John Connor, the leader of the resistance, so too did King Herod order the execution of one of his wives and three sons in the Massacre of the Innocents. This was like his Order 66, so to speak, where he mandated the killing of all the babies in Bethlehem. And like the Terminator, he sent the three Magi, or wise men, who were probably, the Bible says they were kings, but I don't think Herod had the chops to order other foreign kings to look for babies to kill. It just doesn't make sense to me. I think they were astronomers trying to follow the signs to go kill Jesus, but that's just my speculation. Regardless of that trivia, Herod's objective was to kill brown baby Jesus, and that was in the year 2 BC. Herod wasn't able to catch or kill baby Jesus, and Herod died a year later. Now Herod's son, Herod Antipas, took over and stayed the Jewish king, even though he wasn't officially recognized by the Roman Senate because the paperwork never went through. But eventually the Roman three-way relationship of rulers fell apart when Mark Antony got catfished by Cleopatra, yeah, Julius Caesar's ex-side chick from seven years before, who was still the queen of Egypt back in the day, which was a Wednesday, by the way. She hooked Antony, who just kind of went away with Cleopatra, and remember, she was left over from Alexander the Great's conquest. So, I guess the Roman Empire just got to Egypt and they thought the same thing we did when we landed in Kuwait on the way to Afghanistan. We were all, fuck this place, it's way too hot. So I totally understand why the Romans kind of passed on conquest. Egypt. But if there's one thing that all historians agree on, even non-Christian historians, was that Jesus was baptized and that Jesus was crucified. And that is a fact. The consensus date among historical scholars was that Jesus was crucified by the Romans under Pontius Pilate on Friday, April 3rd in the year 33 AD at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And that, too, is a fact. And the Sanhedrin was a 23-rabbi Jewish court. And the guards of the Sanhedrin arrested Jesus and he was tried before the Sanhedrin for healing people on Saturday. So the Sanhedrin turned Jesus over to the Romans and they told the Romans that Jesus had claimed to be the king of the Jews. And they did that in the hopes that the Romans would be offended that Jesus was trying to say he was the king of the Jews when Herod had been appointed the king of the Jews. But Pontius Pilate's mission from Rome was to maintain control over the Jewish population. And that was a strategic goal of his governorship. So he said to the Jews assembled, he said, hey, do you want me to crucify Jesus or do you want me to crucify this other guy Barabbas? who was already sentenced to death for murder and insurrection. But the Jews decided to let the murderer go so that they could get Pontius Pilate to kill Jesus for them. And that is a fact. So the Romans crucified Jesus. But then when we start talking about holy wars, it's kind of ironic. Do you see it? It's kind of ironic because in the year 380 AD, 350 years after the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, ordered the execution of Jesus, the Roman emperor in 350 AD, Theodosius decreed Christianity Christianity is the official religion of the Roman Empire and officially called it Catholicism, which is why the Vatican is in the heart of Rome. And between 300 and 600 AD, the Roman Catholic Church was born, and in 400 AD, they wrote the Bible. And then sometime in the year 500 AD, the leader of the Catholic Church became officially known as the Pope. So it's a historical fact that to murder Jesus Christ, the Jews convinced Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Israel, to kill Jesus. And the powers that killed Jesus, the Romans, became the Catholic Church. Church. So the pre-Catholic Church killed Jesus Christ, then declared Christianity their official religion, then compiled all the documents that they put in the Bible as the Word of God, then called it the Bible, then sent armies on at least nine crusades to wage holy war in Israel in the name of Jesus Christ, the man they were responsible for murdering in the first place. And that's all historical fact beyond disagreement. And if you didn't realize it until now, it's because right now you are orbiting in my sonic gravity and you are seeing the universe through the 
the eyes of a madman. So between King Herod, the Sanhedrin, and Benjamin Netanyahu, I think it's fair to say that throughout all of recorded history, Middle Eastern Jews are willing to kill people that everyone knows are innocent to maintain their power, and that is a fact. And it's not anti-Semitic, it's true of Americans too, I admit it. America is the only country in the history of the human civilization to drop nuclear weapons on two almost exclusively civilian populations just because we wanted to win a war that we just didn't feel like fighting. Half of our country went to war with the other half of our country once because half of us wanted to enslave black people so that we could cut down on our economic labor costs. There's plenty of moral failure to go around. And just as a closing thought, I wanted to discuss what President Eisenhower warned us of during his farewell address to the country. After he'd finished two terms as president and after he'd served in World War II as a five-star general of the Allied Forces, he warned us of the danger of the American military-industrial complex. He warned us that since the American military-industrial complex could only make money by selling planes and bombs and tanks and bullets, he warned how they would infect our government and the government might send us all to war so that we would keep buying planes and tanks and bombs and bullets, which is the primary reason most critics think that we spent between 10 and 20 years in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And that's why some critics think that the military-industrial complex, by bribing congressional representatives with political donations, causes them to attack countries far enough away that it won't inconvenience too many white people, and of course they make us attack the countries with everything we have against militaries we know can barely even fight back. So objectively, between appropriate and discretionary spending, the United States spends about 34% of the nation's tax dollars on wars that don't do any good for Americans other than get the military-industrial complex paid to create weapons and fight wars that aren't necessary, which is the same as spilling innocent blood for money. And it's the blood of Middle Eastern people living in countries we invade, and it's the blood of our own troops. And that is a fact. And five-star general, a former two-term president, eight years in office, Dwight Eisenhower warned us in 1961, right before President-elect John F. Kennedy began his presidency. Anyways, just like when Jewish King Herod terrorized Bethlehem, Jesus' birthplace, because today the leader of the Jewish people, Benjamin Netanyahu, is actually at it again, kicking all the Palestinian people out of their homes in Bethlehem and other Palestinian settlements in an area called the West Bank and Gaza Strip, which are two border regions of Israel between two other countries in the region, Jordan and Egypt. And if the Palestinians fight back however they can, they get called terrorists. And sadly, most Americans aren't educated enough to know any better. Because it's kind of like when a small fringe terrorist group named Al-Qaeda, led by a Saudi Arabian exile named Osama bin Laden, who was living in Pakistan the whole time, who orchestrated 9-11 from Pakistan, and so in retaliation we invaded the country that was Pakistan's neighbor, Afghanistan, for almost 20 20 years and are still there five years after Osama bin Laden was killed in Pakistan. Yep, that's the military industrial complex for you. And the reason this matters is because President Biden is pulling the plug on our wars in the Middle East. So if the military industrial complex is still controlling our legislature, we can predict that there must be some conflict that the military industrial complex will push Congress to send in our military on to keep itself fed. And almost as if on cue, we're seeing a revival of a conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians that's been going on for hundreds of years in terms of property and sovereignty, and there are all kinds of valid legal claims on both sides so intertwined that conventional thinking about territory and sovereignty is almost impossible. But just like the Jewish King Herod did back in 1 or 2 BC, Benjamin Netanyahu is leveraging superior military force to terrorize the families in Bethlehem, and that is a fact. But you have to admit there's an interesting historical parallel between the Jewish King Herod's terrorism of the Jewish people in Bethlehem in the year 2 BC and Benjamin Netanyahu's 
news terrorism of the Palestinian people in Bethlehem in 2021. Because like it or not, the fact remains throughout modern history that if you live in Bethlehem like Jesus and the Palestinians did, you better keep a close eye on the Jewish king. But here's the thing. Look at the cover art on this episode. You can see it at www.sonic-gravity.com. Look at the objective Zionist decimation of Palestine over the last 75 years. It's genocide by a thousand cuts over 75 years. And the thing is that it's America's fault. Our president declared Jerusalem to be the Israeli capital, which nullified valid Palestinian claims over those lands and signaled that Israeli continued aggression in violation of treaties and ceasefires going back till 1947. And when you see the universe through the eyes of a madman, this is what you see. You see that King Herod needed the official Roman appointment by Caesar Augustus. He needed the authority from Caesar to kill all the children in Bethlehem, which was where brown baby Jesus was in fact born, which is also a Palestinian settlement today, or used to be. And you'll see that the Sanhedrin needed Pontius Pilate's cooperation and authority to kill Jesus by nailing him to a cross in 33 AD. And in the exact same way, Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, needs the American government's cooperation and approval to wipe out the settlements of the Palestinian people in 2021 AD, even in Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus, and he's doing it right now. So, as Caesar or Pontius Pilate, would we sit by and let the Israelis kill baby Jesus or crucify the Christ? If not, why would we allow our government to authorize the Israelis to eradicate the Palestinian people? Look at the picture on the cover art of the episode. The map tells no lies. The Palestinians are being eradicated from Israel. No, on second thought, the Palestinians are being eradicated from Palestine. Because if Americans want world peace, a good place to start would be to do like the Iranians in antiquity. Exercise the leadership and wisdom of the Persian king Xerxes and Artaxerxes and bless the Palestinians with the same grace that the Persians did for the tribe of Judah, for Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, as told in the books of the Bible, Nehemiah and Ezra. Heal the world by giving the Palestinians their land back and help them to rebuild their cities and their mosques. And make the Jews show the Palestinians the same respect and support that the Persian Empire showed them. Music